Hi, this is Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. This episode features my interview with the seven-time MLB All-Star New York Mets slugger, Captain America, David Wright. David explains how a humble guy from Norfolk, Virginia was able to deal with the high expectations of performing in New York City, the disappointment of losing the World Series, the overall pride in being named Mets captain, and much, much more. Enjoy the interview. But what an honor. I mean, Tiki Barber, are you kidding me? I mean, I feel like I should be asking him the questions. Um, you know, I, I, I played all sports when I was a kid. Um, you know, truth be told, that 757 area of Virginia has become somewhat of a sports hotbed, not just baseball, but, you know, football, basketball. And I love sports growing up. And, um, you know, being six foot and 200 pounds, I realized very quickly that it was probably going to be baseball or hockey, and I couldn't ice skate. So baseball it was. And Were you fast? For a six-foot, 200-pound, kind of pudgy guy? Yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, I'm kind of sneaky fast. Let's say, you could have played football. I'm no. only 5'9", not 200 pounds. I'm soft. I couldn't even stay healthy playing baseball. <laughs> well, let me follow and ask you this. I mean, because, damn, he just looks the part, right? Like, chisel a baseball player, right? Chisel chin, you know, good-looking body, got a swing, got speed, got everything. When did you know you had it to make it to the big league? That's, that's a good question. You know, I always doubted myself, and I think that's one thing that always pushed me, was I always didn't think I was good enough. You know, I always hated failure more than I loved success. And... That was kind of my motivating factor with, you know, I was good for my high school team, but how did I compare to the state of Virginia? Okay, I realized I was good in Virginia, but how do I compare to the United States? Okay, I was good in the United States, but how do I compare to the Latin American countries, Asia? Um, you know, so I always kind of had that doubt, and I think that's something that always pushed me. So you end up getting drafted in 2001. Coincidentally, to the Mets. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you couldn't have scripted it any better. And you ultimately made your way to the major leagues three years later. The minor league circuit, as we all know, it's, it's rough. It's tough. It's tough, but it's necessary, especially when you go right from, from high school. You were a Mets fan growing up. You finally get to the show, and you, you get your first hit at Shea. It was Shay then, that's yeah. it. Uh, but it, one of the most incredible feelings in my life, you know, it's, it's funny because you work, for me at least, you work your entire life wanting to be a professional baseball player with everybody kind of telling you that, hey, you know, let's, let's worry about a plan B. Plan A probably isn't going to work out. And you finally get that call that you're coming to New York and, you know, I'm flying in. And it's the second time I'd ever been in New York. The first time was to sign my contract. And I'm flying in. We fly right over Shea Stadium. And it's like, man, this is real. And you realize that you're accomplishing a lifelong goal. But you think about it a little further, and it's like, this is just the start. Now I have to solidify myself and, and really prove to everybody that I belong. And it's not just hype. You know, it's not just, you know, you're not just a prospect anymore. You need to become an everyday player that helps this team win. You know, I grew up in Virginia also. So when I came to New York, it was like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Like, when you came to New York, you, you were a Mets fan, obviously. Yep. 
But what was that experience like? Because you're, I mean, you're from the 757, yeah. right? And now yes. you're in New York City and you're, the expectation is ridiculously high. And that's really the question. How do you deal with the high expectation that came with being David Wright in, in New York? I watched a lot of Tiki Barber film <laughs> and I tried to emulate it. I like um, that. No, it's, you know, for me, it was one of these things where no matter what obstacle was in my way, I was willing to knock it down to accomplish what my goals were. And, um, you know, although New York can be a tough place to play for some, you know, I feel like early on I embraced it and I wanted to become a New Yorker. And I feel like New York kind of accepted me as one of their own, which is tough to do. Um, yeah, thank you. Especially, you know, a kid from Virginia, there's probably not a ton in common with New Yorkers. And to come in here and to, to be welcomed the way that I was welcomed made me feel comfortable early on. And, you know, I think I thrived because of that, you know, comfort feeling that I received. Yeah. Now, I, I wonder the rivalry, uh, the Mets and the Yankees rivalry that will always exist. I know we're mostly Mets fans in here. But did you ever think about that? Was it something that, like, drove you or... Was it something that just kind of was second thought? You know yeah, what I mean? I mean? You always said the right things to the media, you know, during the Subway Series. It was always... Okay, so what did you say to your teammates, though? Yeah, it was like you knew when the Subway Series was. You know, it was always kind of one of those when the schedule came out. It's like, okay, you know, late July, early July, whatever. Um, you know, that's going to be fun. And, you know, it, it certainly held true. You know, when you walk around the city during the Subway Series and you see either the pinstripes or you see orange and blue, you know, it just gets you fired up for that series. And it's something where you want to give your fans the bragging rights going into work on Monday. You know, you want, you know, even if, you know, we're having a good year, they're having a good year, you know, we're not having such a good year, they're not, whatever, it doesn't matter. Those three or six games, whatever it was, you want to give the Mets fans something to beat their chests about at work on Monday. Yeah. Did you ever feel a pressure to live up to Yankees historic success um yeah I mean it's it's something where although they're not in our division and not even in our league you know you want to be as a team you want to be the story in New York um you know you want to although they've accomplished so much in their history and, and obviously you know well deserved um you want to knock them off that pedestal and become that team and um you know, obviously that's a tough undertaking, but that was always our goal for those three or six games to, hey, let's beat these guys and, and you know, get the Empire State Building orange and blue for that night. Yeah, every team, I think, has an iconic player. For the Yankees, it was Jeter. Um, for the Mets, it was you for a lot of your, your tenure. Was there ever in your mind a comparison? No, that's high praise. And that's, I mean, even to, um, you know, he's on a level that, few, not just in New York, but few baseball players will ever be. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of the best of the best and, you know, a guy that being a young player in New York, when I got called up in 2004, it was like, okay, you know, you want to win, you want to do things the right way, you want to become a perennial all-star, you know, maybe one day a Hall of Famer, which guy am I going to try to follow? And it was like, Okay, you know, that seems like a pretty good example. Um, you know, so as a guy that certainly, um, you know, he demands respect. He, he, he 
is a winning player. You know, I always admired the way he played the game to win. You know, it wasn't about his stat line at the end of the year. It was, okay, we won 90 games or we won 100 games. I had a good year. And I always loved that about him. So seven all-star games, two gold gloves, two silver sluggers. You have, I mean, the franchise records are ridiculous. RBIs, doubles, run scores, hits. Well, walks, everything. Yeah, like yeah. You, you have almost strikeouts. Strike, yeah. <laughs> longevity. Give it the longevity. Brett Favre had all the bad records too. Um, but there was one year that was not great for you. Yep. 2009. And we all remember this happened. August 15th. Matt Cain hit you in the head. Uh, you got a concussion, and it was one of your worst seasons of your career. Maybe the worst season of your career. Only 10 home runs and 72 or four or so RBIs. But you came back from it. Yep. What was that, that like to feel off? Well, I mean, it's, it's probably felt like you felt like on a daily yeah, basis. Yeah, but as a football, football player, yeah. I'm supposed to get hit. <laughs> um, you know, for me, it was something that you always know when you step in the box that there's a fear in the back of your mind that you might get hit. And it hurts. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, but when you're talking about kind of getting the hit in the head and then you know, it's kind of lights out for a second, you know, it's, it's certainly scary. And, and, you know, for me coming back from that, it's, it was definitely a hurdle. You know, I wasn't necessarily afraid of getting hit again. It was, you get a little gun shy. I mean, it's, um, I think that's just part of the rehabilitation process. So yeah, it took a little bit to feel comfortable in the box again. And um, I think one of the best things that happened to me was you get hit again, not necessarily in the head, but yeah. you know, you get hit again. It's like, ah, you know what? It hurts a little bit, but it's not that bad. You'll get over it. You know? <laughs> Just pain. Yeah. I could have played football. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Mets have been to the World Series a, a few times. Uh, one was in 2015. Played the Kansas City Royals. They jumped out quickly on you all. Two zip the series was. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the performance yeah. and being able to execute. That was a critical moment for your Mets at City. Uh, the Royals already had you down. I mean, how do you pre prepare yourself to perform in a clutch situation like that consistently? And that's what that's what you were known for. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. You know, is for us, you certainly in the postseason want to win every game. And I think that actually hurt us. We swept the Cubs. We had a week off kind of to do nothing. So you get a bit stale, and then all of a sudden you got to ramp it up quickly. And the Royals, I think, played six or seven games, maybe in Houston. Um, you know, and, and they kind of came in on a roll, and we started out flat. I think the first batter uh, of the World Series, Kansas City hit an inside-the-park homer off us, and it's like, okay, you know, let's get, our, let's get it together quick. Um, you know, we knew coming home that energy and that enthusiasm was going to be there, and we had to use that to our advantage. And I think we gave up a run in the first. And to be able to answer back like that in baseball, that's everything. To be able to gain the momentum, take advantage of the fans at home, give them something to get on their feet for with, and try to win that game. And, and fortunately, it worked out for us there. It didn't work out for us for the series, but um, the coolest moment in my career by far. Yeah. No, it had to have been. I wonder... David, you, you've had a lot of successes in your baseball career, but the failures are often what define athletes and often your legacies. Was losing the World Series the hardest thing? For sure. Um, you know, I remember talking to the guys 
kind of after that, after the loss. And, you know, certainly wasn't, you know, you've, it's, you're in a moment where you want to hang your head and it's only natural, but, um, you know, it certainly was a season to be proud of. I think we were hovering around 500 most of the year and we just went on a, you know, and thanks to a, a great trade, we got Yoan Cespedes that year and, you know, really took off. And I remember telling the guys, don't let this be the pinnacle, you know, don't rest on that. Let's come in next year remembering how this feels and use that to our advantage. And, uh, you know, we went back to the postseason in 2016 and lost a one-game playoff to Madison Bumgarner and the, and the Giants. But, um, yeah, certainly that kind of success or, I guess, failure ultimately, you know, drives you to – it's an addicting feeling playing in the postseason. Yeah, and it scares you because you never yeah. – you don't know if you're ever going to get back. Right. right, that happened to me in 2000. Right. We went to the Super Bowl, yep. got beat by the Ravens, yep. and I never went back. Right. They decided to go back after I retired, but that's <laughs> a different story. Let me back up for a second. You in 2013 were given an honor that's it's unbelievable. Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, and John Franco are the only other New York Mets to be named captain. What did that mean to you? And did you, did you realize it at the time? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about New York Met legends, you know, Gary Carter, Keith Hernandez, Johnny Franco. Um, you know, so when, when the team approached me with that idea, it was very important for me that everybody was on board, whether uh, I believe we had Bartolo Colon who had 100 years in the big leagues or a rookie that was his first year in the big It was important to me that everybody felt that way. Um, you know, but certainly if that was the best moment that I've ever had on a baseball field, hitting a home run in the World Series, the single biggest honor in being a New York Met was being named captain because for the organization, the fan base, the players to view you as a captain, um, for me, it doesn't get any better than that. How does that happen? Who, like, who, who determines that? Like, you know what I mean? Is it just ownership? Is it just... That's a skip. Is it the GM? Like, who, I, who well, I remember being that? called in the office, and it was ownership, front office, coaching staff, and maybe some of the veteran players. And I was like, I didn't do it. You know, like what? You know, what, what's going on here? And uh, when they told me that, it was uh, certainly pretty emotional. But for me, because uh, there's not there's not very many captains in baseball, you know, and, and to be um, one of the small handful was uh you know certainly an honor when you get went home what did you tell your wife i probably ordered a bunch of shirts that just said captain you know <laughs> like just like board around the house like captain you know even if you don't think so <laughs> yeah. i am i um, am but that was that was awesome you know what a what an honor so 2015 i we just hit on the world series but that also was the beginning the next year of a bunch of injuries for you, spinal stenosis, um, things that kept you off the field. How difficult is it for an elite player, accomplished player like you, to not be doing your job? I mean, that was the, the toughest thing that I ever had to go through was continuously, for me at least, when my body just started going in a direction, was mentally, uh, not necessarily accepting it, but um, coming to terms that I couldn't physically do the things that I needed to do to be a successful baseball player, the things that I took for granted when I was younger. Uh, you know, because quite frankly, when you're 21 years old, you feel like you're Superman and that 
you can roll out of bed and do whatever you want. And, you know, I remember guys getting hurt, older guys on the team, and I'm like, you guys are soft. You know, let's go. Let's, let's, let's play. And, um, you know, when you get to that point where it's, for me at least, one thing after another, it was back, neck shoulder, you know, just surgery after surgery after surgery, um, you know, I kind of knew in that last year during the rehab that it's just not cooperating and this just it, it physically can't happen. And that's a, that's a tough conclusion to come to because you always, as an athlete, you want to be the one to determine the final chapter. You know, you don't want something else determining your final chapter. Could you feel fans' frustration not at you but, Probably at me. But, a lot well, at me, a yeah. little bit. But I felt it. F I remember this. Yeah. Like, man, what the heck? This is this sucks. Like for you, could you could you feel that? I mean, I'll say this: that um, during the whole recovery process for me is when I, I was for me kind of that. You know, I knew that New York was kind of my second home, and I knew that I'd been welcomed into this family, but. You know, that final year for me was kind of the cherry on top with just the relationship that I've had with this organization that I've had with these with the fans that meant so much to me. I remember showing up to the ballpark my last game and it was a couple hundred deep of, of people just waiting in the player parking lot, just waiting to say hello when I came in and waiting after the game. You know, I after the game, I was there until probably I mean, we played extra innings, but I was there till two or three in the morning, you know, just shaking hands and thanking people that stayed until two or three in the morning to just say hello to me or say congratulations or say, you know, things like that. And that really hit home the kind of relationship I have with the city. The value of the reward, right? And in some ways it's monetary. In some ways it's, you know, the, the accolades, the trophies, et cetera. But in sports, it's fan adulation. Right? How special was that? Just, it brings back such, you know, great, you know, memories that, you know, I, I'll never forget when they kind of said, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people here tonight. And I was like, no way, no one, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And when I saw that, it, it again, it really hit home. And that was one of the coolest, neatest nights that I will never be able to repay my thanks for this city. That, that send off, uh, meant the world to me, meant the world to my family, and that was, uh, you know, something special and uh, something that, you know, certainly I'll always remember. Can you take yourself back into that locker room after that? What were your teammates saying, doing? Were they saying, we're going to miss you, we're going to uh, love you? Like, well, I was where my two-year-old was having a meltdown in the stands because <laughs> it was like one o'clock in the morning and it was, you know, past her bedtime and... Dad, you know, I'm like begging people, just just please get a hit and let's score a run, and so we can go home, so I don't have to deal with this two year old when I go. Um, you know, but it was it was really cool because some of my best friends, um, you know, were out there. They they ended with Jacob Degrom, and Jacob and I are uh, about as close as you get. And um, you know, it, it was something that you know for them to kind of say the nice things, whether they meant it or not. Um, you know, it means a lot to me because you know you want the respect and you want to earn uh, that respect of your peers and for them to you know have those nice gestures and do those nice things for me uh, as an athlete that, that that means a lot to you all right enough with the nostalgia yeah <laughs> you are a special advisor to the general manager of this current mets team <laughs> 
what the heck? <laughs> like the good things that happened, I was a part of. The bad things that are happening, like I have nothing to do with. I'm very part-time, you yeah. know, so. Uh, but you do have um, a voice in a yeah. sense. And like we've seen this Mets team for the last few years uh, almost be there mm -hmm. before the season starts. And then it seems to always fall apart right. for some reason. Having been a part of successful Mets mm -hmm. teams, how do we bring that till now? Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, and Brody, uh, certainly to his credit, when he took this job, he wanted to shake things up. He realized that what we had the last couple of years was not working. And I can attest to this because I was at the winter meetings with him. This man works. Uh, I mean, it is a eight to eight job with him and there's no stone that he leaves unturned and, and granted um he's taken uh you know and he accepts his fair share of the responsibility for things that are uh you know not quite working but um i, I know this for a fact that he's going to work his tail off to to do everything that he thinks is the right thing to do for this organization and he's a guy that uh, gets you excited to be a part of this organization and um you know, he's a guy that puts in the work, and um, it's nice to have that type of energy. And, you know, now we just need, um, you know, to kind of start seeing those, those changes on the field. The legacy question always gets asked. Uh, you had so many highs. You had some lows with injuries. If someone was meeting you for the first time and asked you about yourself, what would you tell them? Who would you tell them David Wright is? You know what? I think the biggest compliment that I could ever receive is when a parent comes up and says, you know what? You're a good role model. I think that's probably, uh, you know, forget about, you know, my dad was a, uh, is a retired police officer. My mother worked in the school system, drove our school bus when I was a kid. And, you know, they instilled in me that who cares if you're a good baseball player? You know, no one's ever going to remember that. You know, it's, it's what type of person are you? What type of citizen are you? You know, what kind of impact can you make on others off the baseball field? Now, I remember, uh, you know, my dad, if I struck out four times, no worries. If I hit four homers, no real worries. But if I threw a helmet or I broke a bat or I got ejected for arguing balls and strikes, those were the phone calls I got after a game saying, like, clean it up. You know, this, this isn't... Uh, this is unacceptable, and, and those were the types of lessons that kind of stuck with me. Well, I'm just meeting you for the first time. You're a hell of a man, and you're a damn good baseball player, too. This is Spike, and what an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, David Wright. Be sure to subscribe to Thusio Live and Unfiltered wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at Thusio.